How about that? Happy New Year, everybody. You picked a great day to be in church, that's for sure. How great is this? Well, I want to welcome all those that are watching on online. My mom watches. She made it back to Maryland. We had a great visit with her, and it was so much fun. And uh, all those watching online all around the world, so welcome. Happy New Year to you. And then in Missouri City, if you're visiting there, go by and see Nathan. I know he's there today, and he'd love to visit with you and meet you and uh, get you connected into our church as you start out this new year. And, uh, and then at our West End Campus, welcome there as well. Go by and see Keaton. He'd love to see you. We have a big year planned. I mean, I hate to uh, give you a kind of a rolling commercial, but we've got so many great things that are going to happen. One of the things I'm most excited about after, tw- this is our 24th year as a church. This year is, we just started our 24th year. And we've never taken a trip to the Holy Land. And so we're going to do that in October. So we have 10 months to kind of plan on that. You can find out information by going to our website. The website we put is rpc.me slash holyland. And you can go see all the information about that and see if this is something you're interested in. We're going to try to do these kind of on a regular basis every other year or so so that people can. I want to go. People are saying, well, what was it like to be in Israel? I said, I've never been. And so I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. And so anyway... (laughs) So I feel like I got to go. And uh, I'm excited about it. We got a great tour guide that's going to take us over there, and we're going to have a good time. It's kind of a small group of 40 folks we can fit in, so it's going to go quick. So so sign up if you can and go that. The other things that we have going on, I'm really excited about this year is that our last year we did this thing called Love Well, and we did all these capital campaign initiatives, and we're still funding a lot of the things that are happening in Missouri City. And one of the things that we had put on the Love Well initiative was to renovate the haunted house at West End. Now, we call it the Haunted House. It's really the Red Rick Building. I think we have a photo of it here. This brick building, it's empty. It's storage, and it's, it's, it looks like a haunted house, doesn't it? And um, so we're going to make it into a coffee shop and a gathering place for West End. So all you there at West End, get excited. We're going to start this next month. It should take us the rest of the year to kind of finish it, but it's going to be a beautiful place to gather, have coffee, meet people, something we're really lacking there. We're also going to have it as a coffee shop for our community, so we're really excited about that, that we can, we think we're going to do that, and so that we can um, invite people in to have a cup of coffee during the week. So it's going to be uh, really, really great. And it won't be the haunted house anymore. And then we have so many fun things coming up for families. This is going to be the year of family for us. We're going to emphasize family. And we're going to help, build, help you build a strong family in your home regardless of what your family looks like. And even if you're single and you've moved away from your family, like at West End, we have so many young single professionals that move to the city from far, far places, foreign lands like Wisconsin and things like that. And they come down and they go, is this winter? And we say, yes, welcome to life. And, uh, and they don't have any family here. And this is the opportunity. If you're single, listen, we're going to do this series on family. We're going to be talking about family. This is your chance. If you're single and you don't have any family in the city, uh, we want to be your family. We want to extend family to you. We want you to feel like this church is your family, and we want you to find a group of people, and we're going to help you do that this year, and we want you to have a great sense of family. One of the things that we're doing is helping men, and so at the end of this month, we have a men's weekend, and we want you to go on that men. And here's the fun thing about the men's weekend. We usually take a couple hundred guys out there from all of our campuses. You get to meet a bunch of people. We, we don't sit around and sing kumbaya, man. It's a rough weekend. It's fun. And here's the guarantee. Somebody every year gets hurt. This could be your year. And so come, you know, see how old you really are. So sign up for that. At the Richmond campus today, there's a tent outside in the courtyard. You can go see that. But ask Keaton about it or Nathan. They'll tell you about the men's weekend. And then dads, listen, we have a father-daughter dance coming up in February. Okay, so that's the end of my commercial. But we want, listen, here's the idea. Nothing great is going to happen this year in your life by accident. 
I just don't think so. Maybe you'll win the lottery. I don't even know. And I'm not even sure that would be great for you. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, if we're going to have a great year, we're going to be intentional. We're going to have to really be purposeful. And so this year, we're putting together a ministry calendar that's going to help the community uh, understand the value of family and build strong families. And so we want everybody. It's kind of how... God created this whole thing, right, is that family is the foundation. And the culture that we live in finds itself, quite frankly, at war with the family. And so this is a battle. It's something worth fighting for, and we want to help you do it. So we want to talk about family a little bit. Now, I want you to think about this. Are you all still with me? I thought I lost you on the commercial stuff. Sorry. I know the West End people probably already left, but uh, (laughs) hang with me, guys. But um, uh, I I was thinking about this. This is kind of strange. Of all the ways in which God wanted us to understand what a relationship with him was all about, he could have picked so many different metaphors and so many different illustrations, but he picked family as a way for us to understand what it means to have a relationship with him. Now, this is kind of a weird idea, quite frankly, because we're talking about God of the universe, right? And so if you grew up in a high church background or in very formal, lots of tradition, lots of orthodoxy, you know, uh, this, this, although all that stuff is beautiful and traditionally great, you know, what, what you got to be careful about if, if you grew up this way is, he, is that God becomes a bit distant and very formal. And what you're going to see today and what I'm going to help you understand today is the kind of relationship God's defining for us to have with him is very much like a family. And he wants to be our heavenly father. Maybe you grew up not believing in Jesus. Maybe you find yourself today at church and you're not sure what you believe. You're almost sure you don't buy this whole thing, but you're looking for something. I want to show you something today about what it means to have a relationship with God that is like family. Okay, this is what it's like. And then I'm going to tell you how to build a strong family. And I've had a lot of coffee today, so I'm good. How about those Texans, huh? Oh my gosh. I almost forgot to say that. Wow. That was great. Our keyboard player here at the Richmond campus is from Buffalo, so try to keep it low around him. He is very upset today. He's playing all the wrong notes, and he's just... He's off, okay? But we understand. I'd hate to be from Buffalo today, you know? (laughs) Anyway, here's the deal. I have ADD real bad. Anyway, so the idea between family is, you know, this was a new concept in the first century. Think about this. Jewish life was built around these customs, these festivals, these diets. They had to use a priest to kind of be the intermediary between the normal person in God, and there was a formal setting, and thou shalt not touch, and all these rules and regulation and religion. I think 2,000 years later, that's kind of why we kind of prefer religion over a relationship, because quite frankly, it gives us a sense of control. If I do these right things, I'm in. If I don't do the right things, I'm out. I get the understanding. But a relationship is much more dynamic than that. So when Jesus showed up on the scene and said, I want you to refer to God as your heavenly father, this was a brand new concept. I know we don't appreciate today because we're used to it. But that's not what was going on in the first century. In fact, Paul wrote a lot about it to the church in Ephesus, and he wanted to emphasize the way you look at God and the way you think about God is the way you'll relate to God. So Paul wanted to make sure as he wrote down, here's how you should be looking at God so you relate to God well. Here's how he wrote it in in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, God decided on his own, because he's God, he gets to decide. He decided in advance. What did he decide to do? 
He decided to adopt us. Adopt us. Can you imagine that? God of the universe wants to adopt you into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great, say the word out loud, great what? Pleasure. Think about this. The God of the universe who's self-contained, right, who doesn't need us, chose in advance to adopt us. He wants us in his family because it gives him what? Great what? Pleasure. Can you... I don't know. I, I kind of have this religious idea that what gives God great pleasure is when I behave or when I do the right things or stop doing the wrong things. But God wants this relationship, a bigger picture. He, in other words, God didn't come, which is what we just celebrated in Christmas. God didn't show up on the earth to give us a religious system. He didn't come to give us a moral code. He didn't come to give us wisdom to live by. He didn't come to be an example. He came to be in a relationship. He came to connect. And he wanted to adopt us into his family. This adoption process begins, right, when you begin to understand your need for a savior. So this gives him pleasure. And, 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 and John wrote about it too. He, he said this. He said, so what we see here is a great love the Father has lavished on us. That's what good fathers do. They lavish love on their children. That we should be called children of God. And look at the emphasis John says. And that's what we are. We're children of God. That's what we are. That's how we should look at God as our Father and our Heavenly Father. And this is how we're supposed to act and this is how we're supposed to look. I know it's so easy in a religious circle like this to look at God as some high and lifted up high holy thing that's far far away but God came close and God wanted to dwell among us and God wanted to be our uh, our father in a way that we are familiar with him so I'm urging you as we start this new decade to figure out how you're thinking about God because the way you're thinking about God dictates how you relate to him maybe it's a religious thing for you that's not what God intended Maybe it's all about the rules for you. That's not what God intended. God intended for us to relate to him as his children. You see, and here's the way it works. You realize one day, I have a problem. I have a sin problem. And if God is holy and he's just, then I can't just expect God to say, don't worry about that, you're pretty good. That's kind of how everybody... Uh, figures it out. You know, most people are pantheists. They just figure out it's all going to pan out in the end, right? You know, pantheist. That was a lot funnier earlier. <laughs> a pantheist is all going to pan out in the... Now I'm mad. <laughs> so, so what they do is, oh, I don't know. But here's the way it works. God clearly spelled it out. You and I are broken. We've flaw we're flawed. We, we've sinned. It's not mistakes. Mistakes are things you make on math tests. This is something we willfully do. We're, we're sinners, and we need a Savior. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that one that was without sin would pay the penalty for all of us who have sin. It's a gift. It's called grace. It's not something you earn. And religion is all about you doing your part so God will do his part. And God didn't come to give us a religion. 
He came to give us a relationship. And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again, it was all about taking away the consequences for our transgressions, all of our sins, past, present, and future. This is good news. This is why we call it the gospel. This is called grace. It's called mercy. It's called compassion. This is the heart of the Father. And so when God said, did all this for us, he wanted us to believe the way you get adopted into God's family is you come to a very sobering moment when you recognize you have a sin problem and you need a savior. It's very humbling. Most people like to prefer, quite frankly, and I prefer this, it's just not true, to feel like I'm okay because compared to you, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as bad as you, and you're not as bad as me. It's kind of how we look at each other. But God doesn't judge that way. If you've broken one, you've broken them all. So you need a Savior. And it's very humbling to recognize that. It feels like weakness, but it's just reality. And so you come and you say, God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, and I want forgiveness, and I want to come follow you. That moment in time is described as a proceeding of adoption, and you are adopted into his family, you're in his family, and you can't get out of his family. Paul wrote more about it in Romans. He said this, so you have to receive this spirit, that moment you pray that and believe that for yourself, that makes you not makes you uh, the, the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. I've screwed this up. So you have not, oh, there's the word, not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you've received God's spirit that he adopted you. This is a recurring theme, adopted you as his own children. And then he goes on and says, now that we call him Abba Father, that word Abba is the most intimate term that could be used for father. It's what we would translate to be the word daddy. Daddy or dad. That's the most intimate term. My children, although they're very, very grown, they call me daddy. I call my mom mom. I know this isn't news to anybody. But this is cool. The other day, one of my grown children had his phone out, and somehow my name was up there, or my contact information was up there, and my son doesn't put Patrick Kelly or Reverend Kelly or Pastor Kelly. You know what he has me in his contacts as? Daddy. Oh, I'm his daddy. And I say from time to time, who's your daddy? You know? (laughs) I'm not sure what that means. I'm sure it's inappropriate. But, <clears throat> but I say it to my son, who's your daddy? You know, that kind of deal. Who's your daddy? It's something special. And someday, my grandchildren, my grandson's three, my granddaughter's two, and someday they're going to have a cell phone probably next year. And, um, and one day, they're going to put in their cell phone my contact information, and it's going to say, Pappy. They're not going to say Reverend Kelly. It's not going to be his pastor. It's not going to be Patrick. It's going to be Pappy. See, because that's what family does. It's intimate, right? You have these pet names for each other. You know, uh, it's so fun to see my uh, grown children call my wife, who I've known as Lisa my whole life, call her mom. Hey, mommy. When they're sick, mommy, I'm sick. So funny. Give me the phone. Suck it up. And I hang up, you know. That's why they call their mom. So anyway, 
So here's again, Abba, Father, for the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, and since we are his children, we have an inheritance. We're his heirs, and that inheritance is good, right? In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, good things, but because we also share his glory, we must also share his suffering, so there's good and bad about being in his family, right? Because we live in a culture and a world that doesn't call God Father. It's a humanistic culture where man is at the center of the universe. So this is the idea. When you get adopted into the family, this is a big deal. Listen, let me just tell you something. Jesus was the first rabbi who ever referred to God as father. This was a new idea 2,000 years ago. Very new. In fact, this was the reason he was so hated by the religious circles because he made something that was so uh, distant and created so much hierarchy and so much formality, and he started calling God. When he prayed, every time Jesus prayed, except for one time, he referred to God as Father. In fact, when he called his disciples and tried to teach them to pray, said, let me teach you how to pray. Here's how you should pray. He says, here's what you should do. You should start off by saying, our Father who art in heaven. He didn't start saying, have you ever been praying with somebody who took it way too serious? And they start, oh, holy, majestic God, God of the universe, God of the heavens. Jesus just said, here's how you pray. Hey, Dad, listen. See, it almost doesn't feel right, does it? Because it's so familiar. It's so connected. That's the idea. So he took family and said, this is how... I want to relate to you. So maybe this decade, starting today, maybe this is the time for you to say, I want to relate to God like that. I don't want all this religion. I don't want a moral code. I want to follow God. I want to be under his authority. I want to be under his wisdom. I want to follow him. I want to learn from him. Now, this is good news for all that has never had a great family life. Not everybody grew up in a great family. Divorce struck the home I grew up in. My mom was a single mom, and uh, we, we didn't have a perfect home life, and neither did you. Some of you had tragic home lives where abuse occurred, and terrible things happened. And this is hope for you, because God wants to take over this role in your life as your heavenly father, and he wants to heal you and train you and help you navigate life as you relate to him as your heavenly father. See, that's how it's supposed to work. The strong, a strong, healthy family is what God is after because it models what it is that he wants to have in our life, what gives him pleasure, which is us relating to him as his children, right? So let me just tell you some attributes of a strong life, a strong family life. One, there's got to be intimacy, which means there's a lack of fear. So if, if somebody in your home rules with an iron fist, then they have control. I promise you they have control, at least till the kids get their driver's license. <laughs> but they, what they don't have is intimacy. You cannot have fear. You can have control, but you cannot have fear and intimacy. They do not go hand in hand. Now, that's just the way it is. So if you're ruling your home constantly, and I know we have to have fear all the time, not all the time, but sometimes fear is not a bad thing, you know. But I'm telling you, if that's the way you manage your home, you got to be careful because your home is not a military operation and you're not the commander. 
And your home's not a business and you're not the CEO, right? Your home is a place of intimate relationships where fear is diminished because you're safe. And anytime you have a performance-based home, you don't feel safe. You, don't want, you wonder if you measure up what you lack in that home. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you grew up in a home like this. You lack intimacy, closeness. You just can't wait to get out of there, out from under the thumb. You just can't live up. The other thing a strong family has is vulnerability. It's a safe place for you to say, I messed up. This is who I am. I'm, I'm so sorry about this. this is, and so it's got to be a safe place where they can run home, where children can run home and be vulnerable. If you don't have vulnerability, you don't have intimacy. So it's gotta, you got to create a safe environment for people to be honest. And the third thing is a, it's a place of belonging. You have to create a place where you belong, where you know these are my people, right? You act differently, right? You act differently with family. It's like you can uh, totally uh, be with your family, and it can be totally jacked up and messed up, and somebody knock on the door, and a guest come over, and you guys act like you got it all together, <laughs> right? Y'all do that? Like, hmm, yes. Yes, I would love to do the dishes. And... Um, and then that person leaves and it's back to the old thing. You know, it's just because when you're a family, you know, you just kind of act the way you want to act and you just are safe and that's the way it's supposed to be. So how do we build a strong family? Now, if you're single and I'm talking to all the single professionals here that have moved away from their home and they're here in the big city of Houston, Texas, and they don't know what to do. I'm telling you, this is your year. This is your year to find a small group at our church, a group of people that can be your family. That's what God intended for God's family, that the church could supplement, the church could be something powerful in your life. Not because of all the great teaching or the music, but because of the relationships. And this can be your family. So this is your chance to do that this year, to jump in. It's bigger than just attending a worship service. It's about being part of the community. So just being here and being committed. One of the best things a family can do is go to church together and be here together because it centers you in some way spiritually around Jesus Christ. It's really great. So how do we fight for our family? You know, the culture that we live in isn't really family friendly. So I want to tell you four different things that's going to help you build a strong family. I'm only going to tell you two today because I don't have time. I'm starving to death, okay? Lisa and I started this intermittent fasting thing, and I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> and she's not here. She's coming at 1230 after she eats. You think that's funny? <laughs> All right. So how do we build a strong family? I'm going to tell you two things today and then come back next week, okay, and tell you two other things that will really help you. Here's the first one. Ready? Have fun together. If your family's not having fun together, the people you're calling family ain't having fun together, you're not doing it right. Listen, the culture and the world that we live in is so freaking serious, and there's so many demands. Making a living is hard. There's so much stress you got to have fun together. This is a holy thing. It's a sacred moment. A good belly laugh is good for the soul. And there's so much pressure and so much uh, uh, things to live up to. So many things, so many areas in life. Maybe you feel like me. There's so many areas in your life that you feel like you're behind in. 
and having fun. Come on. Now, there's a good kind of fun, and that's the kind of fun I'm talking about. There's other kind of fun that's an escapism, that's destructive, that's the weekends, involves a lot of intoxication. That's fun, but very destructive, okay? But this idea of fun that God created, that the whole world is for our enjoyment, that's why he created it, has got to be purposed in your life. If you're not careful because of the pressures of this culture that we live in, you're going to be a fun sucker, man. You're just going to squash all the fun in your life because you got to get the kids in the right school, and they got to make the right grades, and we got to make the right sports team, and we got to look the right way, and we got to act the right way, and we got to do all the right. And your kids, let me tell you about your children, they're built for fun. And listen, let me just tell you this. this is, I've raised four children, and I've made my mistakes. This is one area I did not make many mistakes in. We had a lot of fun. And if you're not careful, you'll think your job as a parent is to make your children successful in life. And that is not your job. What? But they got to get in the right schools. they got to make the right grades. they got to do the right things. No, that's not your job. It's, your job is not to make them successful in life. That will be their responsibility later. Your job is to make them feel loved in your home. That's your job. And fun is a big part of that. So if you're not having fun, listen, then, and fun takes time. We don't have much time. We're so busy. Busyness is a fun killer. We're so busy, we're not having fun. And that's why on, when we grow up, I told you all this story before, but I want to tell you again because I want to remind you. On Mondays is my day off. When my kids were growing up, we had no media Mondays. That means when my kids came home from school, there was no cell phones, no Nintendo, no television. Everybody hated it. <laughs> and it created so much boredom, and we fought so much, you know. We just hated it. But that boredom created an opportunity for us to invent different things to do together that were fun. That's when we started building the human pyramid, right? I know we didn't invent that, but we started doing it. And we'd invite all the kids' friends over and try to build these human pyramids and get a picture taken, and we'd, we'd build big human pyramids. I know this doesn't sound fun to you, but it was hilarious. Especially when that girl fell off and broke her arm. It's hilarious. I don't think it was broken. I think she was a big faker. Anyway, so we did not invite her back. Anyway, so... You know, we just, those are the things that we remember. I mean, we just had so much fun. We had the T-shirt game where I would sit in the middle of the room and the boys would try to rip a T-shirt off me. So just rip it off if you can. I mean, they were little. Now they want to play and they're, you know, 28. Come on, Dad. You're going to hurt Pappy. Anyway, so, so we played the T-shirt. Our favorite game, and I've told you all this story before, but I don't think anybody else has tried it. I think you should try this. It was a game we invented called Cops. Now, we did invent this game. All you police officers out there appreciate that. Here's what we would do. We'd get everybody in the master bedroom on the bed. You had to be on the bed. And then we'd appoint one person to be the cop, okay? So you're the cop. So they would have to go outside the master bedroom and shut the door. And then what they would do, this is the game, they would bang on the door really loud and scream as loud as they can, Open up! It's the police! And then they would bust through the door and whip out their gun, which is their finger, and whip out their gun and say, freeze. Well, it's amazing. Everybody has a little different style doing that. So we're all up on the bed. They bust through the door and yell, freeze. That's the end of the game, by the way. That's, that's it. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere from there. That's the entire game. It's hilarious. Then somebody else would get up, okay, you're the cop, go do it. It is so much fun. 
Sounds stupid, doesn't it? You know, the funniest thing, one time we made Lisa do it. I said, Lisa, get out there and do it. Show them how it's done. She gets into this stuff, man. She's competitive. She wants to win. There's no score in this, by the way. <laughs> she wants to win. So she knocks on the door, and she goes in this real deep man voice. It scared me. It's like, open up, it's the police. I go, baby? You know, it's like, what's going on out there? Open up, it's the police. And she busts through the door, and she had guns in both hands. She's like Yosemite Sam, you know? It's like, eh, Freeze! Stop waving that finger around. It's crazy. It's the whole game. My kids love it. They're home for Christmas. They're grown up. Let's play cops. My, grand, my grandchildren, four and three, knock on the door. Open up. It's the police. They run in. So great. Sounds stupid now that I'm talking about it out loud. Our favorite part is this, when we invite somebody new over, so we, we don't have them go first. We have our family members go, hey, so, so new, somebody new will come in and they'll say, hey, let's, let's play cops. Okay, so we all get on the bed and a couple people will do their deal. And then we say, it's your turn. Okay, welcome to the family. It's your turn. So they get out there. And when they go out there and shut the door, we all run in the master bedroom, bathroom, you know? And so when they go, open up, it's the police and bust in, there's nobody in the room. <laughs> We're mean like that. So fun. So great. See, here's the thing. This is the kind of stuff they're going to talk about at your funeral. They're not going to talk about all your accomplishments and all your greatness and how serious you were and how organized you were and how you pushed them to be their best. They're going to talk about how they felt in your presence. That's how they're going to talk. So give them something to talk about. Have fun. It is a holy thing. You know, it's a fun thing. When my kids were little, now my grandkids could do it. I've taught them to jump off the counter into my arms. But the trick is I don't look at them. I just kind of step away and say, well, you jump. Pappy will catch you. And they're unsure because I'm not looking at them. No eye contact. And then they jump. And I react. And I've never, no, I've never missed. <laughs> it's been a couple close calls, but they love that. I want my grandchildren, just like my children, to grow up in a home where they laughed a lot. So are you laughing? Are you having fun? One of the favorite memories of the Christmas season for me was sitting out by our um, fire pit and we were talking about a doctor's visit I had just gone on that was terribly embarrassing that I can't discuss with you because I don't know you. But I was telling them, all my family, about this humiliating, humiliating experience, and we just laughed. Just so fun. I think you ought to look at your home and say, are we having fun? Because that's how you build a strong family, seriously, is having more fun together. And usually somebody more fun marries somebody less fun, so you all work together, okay? Try to figure it out, all right? Who's fun and who's not fun? Don't point. That is so rude. Anyway, it's not fun. You know, that kind of thing. Here's the second thing. We've got to go through these quick, okay? So you've got to promote growth in your home. 
So we want our children to grow. We want to be students of our kids. We wanted to make sure that we knew where they were developmental-wise, how they were doing. So here's the things you learn at home. And if you don't learn these things at home or in your family group, you will struggle your entire life. Here's, here's what they are. One, you learn at home how to deal with your emotions. So the worst thing you could say, Dad, maybe you said this, or maybe Mom, the worst thing you could say to a kid is stop crying. Just stop crying. You just got to wait. Dad, this is really hard for me because I had a couple kids that were very emotional, a couple kids that weren't emotional. So when the crying started, I just learned really early not to say stop crying. I would just have to wait it out. And it just got agonizing. You just kind of sitting here like, just, yeah, that's right, baby. Just get it out. Just get it out. Are you done? No, not done yet. Okay. Just keep crying. You just want to. You don't, want to, you, don't want, you don't want to teach your children, bottle it up and pretend everything's okay. You don't want to pretend like that. Just cry it out. Let's just cry it out. Let's talk it out. You got to, because here's what you're teaching your kids with emotions. What you're teaching is to be able to identify emotions, and this is something we all have to learn. You have to teach, teach kids how to identify emotions, and then you have to teach children that you cannot trust your emotions. Just because you feel something's true doesn't make it true. And so you get to talk about, well, why do you think that? Why do you feel that way? How's that feel? Tell me how that feeling is. And where does that feeling come from? And what do you believe is behind that feeling? And then you're able to say, well, let's look at, the, let's look at what really happened here. Do you think this person really meant to hurt you? Do you really think this, you know, all these things. And then all of a sudden there's a comparison between how I feel and what's really happening in the world. And people learn how to deal with their emotions. And the people who don't know how to deal with their emotions are a mess in life. At work, they always feel like they're the victim. They always feel like everything they feel is true. I mean, I've been able to tell my kids several times, I know you feel that way, but what you feel is not true. Don't trust it. That's not, the, that's not the truth. It's just the way you feel. But we feel it, especially people who feel things so passionately. Do you have a kid like that drama queen or drama, drama queen? They just, they feel it so passionately. These are the kids on the floor at the grocery store. You know, these are the, they just feel it so passionately. You got to teach children. You have to teach ourselves how to deal with your emotions. This is a great place for counseling. If you didn't get this at home, you need to get this. Here's the second thing you learn how to deal with. You learn how to resolve conflict. If we had four children, there was always a fight. Fight about everything. And you had to teach your children how to say, I'm, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I know I hurt you, and I'm sorry about that. See, if, here's the thing. If you don't teach your children or if you don't learn in your home how to resolve conflict, it's really hard for you to stay married later in life. Because everything's their fault. And that never resolves conflict. That's called the blame game. And we've had to teach our children, and we didn't do a great job with this, you know, that how to, how to come together and resolve conflict. Our children, I mean, seriously, there was, we had all the kids and everybody, there was conflict over the holidays. We were so glad when they left, you know. It was just like, golly, Merry Christmas, goodbye. And... Uh, <laughs> So when that goes away, it's like, oh, man, they still got some learning to do, you know, that thing. Here's the third thing, how to process grief. How to process grief. This is a big deal because regardless of your income or your looks or whatever you think you got going for you, you're going to experience loss 
and your children are going to experience loss. And here's my advice to you parents. Don't take your context and apply it to their life. Because it may not be a big deal to you that they didn't get on the team, but it's a real big deal to them. And you got to get in their world and their life, and you got to make it a big deal to you. And you got to teach them how to not just get through grief. You got to get them. You got to get them to process what it means. This loss, what does it mean? And there's children, and all of our lives, we've experienced different levels of loss. Some dramatic, some not so dramatic, but it's all loss. And people who don't know how to process their loss do not understand how to live the life God has for them. Because in this world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world, he says. Here's the last thing. How to, how value, what values really matter most? You see, our world and our culture, and this is where we've, I think we've failed. Because growing up in a preacher's home, uh, I was so scared about this. I didn't know really how, how to handle this. And we just didn't do a very good job creating good boundaries. And so our kids got a full dose of what the world thinks is valuable. And we didn't fight with them enough or have conversations with them enough growing up to say, I know the world says that what you wear matters and that your importance comes from your income or your fame or how many followers you have on Instagram and you want to be famous, but none of that really measures up to what you're worth. So don't get your worth from your looks or your achievement. Get your worth over here because you're made in God's image and God's got a purpose for your life and you have value because God's deemed it to be so. And we didn't do a good job with that. And it was just because we didn't have a lot of conversations. You got to be careful about what your kids watch. I know this is old school. Kids watch, kids would do. Because if not, little girls grow up and want to be Kim Kardashian. It's like, well, what? That that is it. Like if you're, not, if you're not there, then you're nothing. I'm going, oh my gosh, that is a terrible way to measure a person's life. That'll make you do all kinds of crazy things because you'll never feel like you measure up. And so you've got to figure out what we really care about. So how do we be intentional about this? These are the two things. Have fun together and promote a place of growth. So here's what I suggest you try doing. Try having a weekly meeting with your family, whoever you call family. And here's three questions at least. And at least and I, that's our family right now. That's just the two of us. It makes meetings a lot shorter. But here, here, so here's the three things we ask. What's the schedule? So I'm busy, she's busy, we sit down with my schedule. I'm going out of town this week, so we sat down yesterday and we said, okay, I'm going out of town, here's what's going on. And we look at our schedule, and what we're starting to do now, because we're smarter, we're starting to say, okay, what in this schedule can we stop doing or not do? So if I stand you up, it's because I love my wife, okay? Because there's some things that we're just going to try to take out of our schedule. Just because it's there doesn't mean you should do it. Should cancel. Call me. I, I won't be offended. You know, just I'm not going to be able to make it. Great. So that so that's what we do. We look at our schedule. She's busy. Lisa's busy. She's doing all kinds of things. So we got to say, what is the schedule? Here's the second question. This is a good question. Where's the struggle? There's a struggle every week. So is the struggle your calendar? Is the struggle your finances? Is the struggle the test? Is it your appointment at work? Is it what, what do you got going on that's a struggle? What are you nervous about? This connects you with the person in, in, people in your family so you can pray for them. You can ask about them and you can be connected. Because a lot of people grow up in even large families and think, nobody cares about me. 
So if you ever felt like nobody cares about you because everybody's so stinking busy, this kind of meeting will help you go, where's the struggle? And people in that meeting and in your family will notice it and they'll ask you, how did it go? And you'll know that people do care about you. Here's the third thing. I think this is the most important question. When are we together this week? When are we together? Because this busyness takes us apart. You got to be intentional about being together. When are we eating together around the table? When are we gonna? We're gonna. When are we gonna just hang out together? When are we gonna have fun together? Oh, I don't see that on this calendar. So we got to make room. When are we gonna be together? Because you don't know. What happens is the most important relationships that you have in life get relegated to the uh, time, the spare time that you might find from moment to moment. And God never intended the most important people to be filled up with just your spare time. This is priority. So you say, when are we going to be together? I don't see in our calendar where we could ever even have a conversation. And you put that weekly. Sunday nights is our weekly meeting. We're going to just meet and say, okay, there's three questions. So if you're not intentional, see, you're not going to build a great family or a great life. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all right. You just have to be intentional. So be intentional. In 2020, build a strong family. I got to go. I'm so hungry. Let's call. Let's just uh, talk to God here. Father, thank you so much for loving us, for giving us this family. And I, just, I just pray that 2020 would be a year for all of us to grow spiritually, to see you as our heavenly father who cares for his children, who knows how to give good gifts to his children, who knows how to have fun, who's not trying to limit us in any way, but protect us and help us in all ways. And I pray, God, that you would teach us how to build strong relationships in our life by having fun together and being together and by promoting growth, figuring out what to do with our emotions and how to process grief, how to resolve conflict, how to figure out what the values in life really are about, and that you build strong life here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.